This week, I got hung up on 1 Peter chapter 1, and I know I went through that book about a year ago, but and I don't try to repeat stuff regularly, so. Um, but Tuesday, I had an uh, experience with Michael and Denise, and he handed me a book and fit right in line with what I'd been chewing on, and so I want to go back to this, um, and it's, it has to do with loss. Um, having pastored mainly young congregations of recent years, I haven't had to do many funerals. I mean, Johnny's was a shock to us. Um, and of the last year, one of my pastor mentor uncles died, and then my mom. And, you know, I've had to look at this a little more than normal for me. But, uh, you know, in that, it's good to know that God sees all loss and understands and has his investment in our lives during those times. And what I want to do is look at First Peter, how the New Testament church is well aware of all these issues, and yet they were teaching that there is peace in Christ in the midst of these things. Uh, in First Peter, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And he lists some places. And uh, just those words in themselves, elect is like a favorite chosen one. That's one of the ways of, of putting it. Uh, it, it also can be uh, a selected one. You know, it's so selected by God, but exiles, strangers, sojourners. Um, this term isn't used very often in Scripture, but in, in one passage in Hebrews 11, it talks, uh, the heroes of the faith are mentioned in that chapter, and it talked of them living as strangers on this earth. But in this particular passage, it's like, Strangers of the dispersion, and, and dispersion to me was defined one time as like water being on a table and, you know, when, it, when you hit it, it flies everywhere. Are you parents with kids in, in puddles? You know what dispersion is, right? You know, it, it just, that's what happened to the New Testament church. And, and so in that, you have to realize that there was a lot of crisis connected. I want to read just a few things. Remember the stoning of Stephen? Saul was there. And it says, At that time the church in Jerusalem suffered terribly, and all the Lord's followers except the apostles were scattered everywhere in Judea and Samaria. So we're talking thousands of people suddenly just take off because their lives are in danger. One of the places that they land, remember Saul, he starts making threats, and he gets letters that takes him to Damascus because he, he wants to take this out further than Jerusalem. It's interesting to me, Damascus is in Syria. If there's any place wrestling with dispersion right now, it's Syria, right? This, this horrific turn of events, people dying in masses and just uh, trying to escape. But when you're escaping, you're also dealing with the loss of family members and friends. You're dealing with the loss of your possessions. You're dealing with the loss of everything that you've known as a, a comfort or a, a cultural um, ex 
ordinariness, so to speak. So all of life is new and different. How many have been overseas at least once? Do you remember feelings of strangeness when you got into another setting and you're just trying, I, I just hope nothing strange happens in this moment. Or I hope that, that uh, this person I'm with, I hope they don't just leave or, or head off, you know. Or if you're waiting for someone, you, you sure hope they show up. And you're checking the watch, you know. And, and, but it's, it's that disquietingness of, of your spirit, so to speak, that just says, I, I'm not used to this situation. That's what dispersion would have meant to these people. And so they're scattered all over, and it goes further. In Acts 11, it says, uh, some of the Lord's followers have been scattered because of the terrible trouble that started when Stephen was killed. Some of them went to Cyprus and Antioch. And, but it's, here's the interesting point. They started telling Gentiles the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's power was with them, and many people turned to the Lord and put their faith in him. So even in this chaotic trauma that's a part of their lives, something powerful is working inside them. And there's this outward flow of the gospel as a result of it. So that even though they are losing everything that's comfortable in this life, there is a power that's resident in their lives that is overcoming these situations. Enough so that they're declaring God's goodness in the midst of this trauma. They're taking their message into a strange environment and giving it out. That's how deeply affected they are by this gospel. Acts 11 is, is intriguing to me. The, the, the end of that chapter, it says, some of the, there was a famine prophesied that was going to be worldwide, and so some of the believers from out of the region send a gift back to Jerusalem. So they take up a collection, they, they bring, they say, we want to take, help take care of you guys. And then you jump into the 12th chapter. If you, and if you don't just look at the chapter separation, this is how it reads from one point to the next. They take their gift to the church leaders in Jerusalem. At that time, Herod started or caused terrible suffering to some of the members of the church, and he ordered the soldiers to cut off the head of James. So even though there are gifts flowing into town because of believers and, and their graciousness, the authorities of the region are saying, that's part of the problem. These people are part of the issue. So even though they're acting nice-nice, that's not what's being returned to them. They're being forced outward. Here's another verse out of James, a different James. James, the brother of Jesus, the first verse of his book. Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered all over the world. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble. You know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested. But you must learn to endure everything so that you'll be completely mature and not lacking in anything. So he's going, yeah, you're suffering, but there's a, a good seed in this. But they're recognizing this 
this dispersion. Okay, back to 1 Peter. What I, what I want to share or show is that with this understanding of the loss of everything natural to them and the grieving that they've walked through that kind of loss, what Peter presents to them is saying, you have something that will never perish. You have something that will never fade away. And it suddenly takes on a new preciousness to us. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power have been guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, he's saying this is irrevocable. What you've received can't be taken from you. There is no sense or loss or grieving that you're going to have to face in regard to this salvation. What you've been handed is something that's much more important than the temporal. You know, if anything, of recent months I've been walking through this thing. I'm not the big deal. He is. This life isn't the big deal. Eternity is. And, and you just keep processing that. And, and in this situation, these folks that have had to flee for their lives... Maybe they've been able to take a few things with them, but it's quite possible they only had the clothes on their back. And yet they're being told, even though you gave up the inheritance that was yours, even though you lost all your possessions, even though your friends are gone, even though your family was taken from you, you have an inheritance in Christ that will never be taken from you. There is a salvation to be revealed in the end that is, is truly astounding. It says, in this rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that a tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe him. Rejoice with the joy is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says there's something more precious than anything you had, something more valuable than anything you could achieve in this life. Revelation he wipes all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things are the past, are gone forever. That's the hope that we cling to. The little book that I was handed was called I Am Somebody. I don't know if you've read it or not. Um, a gal named Tamara Ferris uh, becomes aware of the AIDS epidemic in Africa and goes to South Africa initially just to love up on kids in AIDS orphanages. And out of that comes a, a ministry where they put together called memory books, scrapbooks, that the kids can draw pictures, talking about life events, or put little pictures and awards. But it's not the box of possessions. It's not the totes. You know, it's surviving life in this little, this little scrapbook 
is what they get to keep memories in. And out of that was this declaration, God loves you, somebody cares about you, there are people who want to hear your story. And, uh, you know, you can say, well, there are people dying every day, you're going to hand them a little book? It's kind of this idea that there is a true inheritance that supersedes anything that you can have in this life. And even though you may die sooner than others, you still have this privilege of expectation in God. I want to read a little song that they would sing. I found it powerful. I am somebody, I am somebody. Repetition, okay. I know that my worth is not found on this earth. I'm a child of the Most High God. It's a powerful idea. I know that my worth is not found on this earth. I'm a child of God. And as, uh, as I was reading this, and uh, you know, there were statistics that were coming out that I guess I just had been numb to. During the height of the AIDS epidemic, quarter of a million people were dying per month in Africa. 250,000 people a month. There's a last census of the UP was something like 307,000. So can you imagine a group nearly the size of the population of the UP going every month? And yet, somehow it doesn't affect me because I just don't think about it. And yet, Africa's not the only place. I mean, now we're hearing of Syria and we've heard of other regions. But there's, there's something that in this that has drawn me back to our core message that, you know, it's not just about making your life better in this lifetime, which happens when you serve Christ. It's true. There's a transformation that happens in the physical as well as the spiritual. But it is not the core thing that we're about. It's not the most important I mean, we can even get preoccupied. I mean, put aside wealth and, and uh, what about even like healing? It becomes our God at points. But it's temporal. So it, it, it doesn't have the right of the beauty of knowing Christ and the hope of the eternal that we have in him. Now, I'm all for healing. I'm all for good health. Chase it but don't have the right to be consumed with it, similar to the, to the pursuit of, of God. In, in that first verse, I didn't read it, but it, it talks about the foreknowledge of God. He lists the foreknowledge of God and, and the uh, sanctification of the Holy Spirit and the sprinkling of Jesus Christ's blood for us. But that whole idea, God knew ahead of time, you know, you're strangers and elect, you've been chosen. God knew ahead of time this was coming. But he's also made preparation for you. It's a powerful, powerful thing that we must not get away from. And that the message that we have of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ still is about the transformation of a heart in the Lord, first and foremost. 
And that what we bring to people is an opportunity to have their griefs overwhelmed by a greater good. It says, if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout this time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not the perishable things, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, yeah, you've, you've basically, you've been giving something greater than the heritage that you lost when you had to run for your life. You've been handed something more significant than any inheritance you'll ever get. You've been given something more precious than any wealth that you could have taken with you. You've been given the precious blood of Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Foreknown and manifest, they're not terms we generally use. But I, I you know, just looking at it, you were planned for, <laughs> and it was implemented for you. Out of this last portion of the chapter then, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So he pulls out one of the Psalms and just says, yeah, we're well aware of how fragile our lives are. As a part of the dispersion and the, the exile, the, the early church is well aware this life was frail. This word is a good news that was preached to you. In other words, you've been given something even more, something imperishable. Lord, help us never to lose that, never to lose sight of it, to acknowledge that we have something grand in the Lord. Thank you for your scripture that speaks life to us. Let these truths ever be a part of us, we ask. Amen. came out in a little book I read was that we need to be willing to listen to others' grief. Just listen, let them tell their story. That's part of the healing that we can help offer. That, um, in other words, it says, I care. And we talk about loving one another. That's a sign of I care. Um, I've not been particularly good at that. I guess I haven't probably dealt with it often enough. But hopefully an old dog can learn new tricks, you know. But I did encourage you, there are times when people are just going to come up and start talking and say, you know what, my mother never wanted me, you know. And you're kind of going, okay. But they're still processing something that needs to be processed. And God can open the doors for us to speak life and say, you know what, he wanted you. You're here wanted your life. He cares for you. And just to open the door to the grandness of what we have in Christ.
would encourage you, just listen <laughs> when possible. Open up your ears and hear what's being said. I want to pray for God's blessing. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the grand hope of your salvation and eternity with you where every tear will be wiped away. Ask, Lord, as they go into the community this week that you'll give them words of life to speak over others, that they'd be good listeners and able to speak words of comfort and peace. Ask, Lord, that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Enable them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.